This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together for Hip hop, hip hop. Cause who I'm talking about, y'all, is hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who, inside of them, the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. So my name is Marsha Dawkins. I'm a hip-hop lover since the moment I was born. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, raised in Queens. This has been the genre of music that's been the soundtrack of my life. So in, term, in terms of me, I'm a professor. I'm a visiting scholar at Brown University. I'm really interested in how people figure out who they are and how they use whatever they have around them in order to make that happen. And one of those things that I happen to be passionate about is hip-hop. Clap your hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. Because I'm Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the words. The first song I chose to share with you guys today is Curtis Blow's These Are The Breaks. This is the first hip-hop song I ever remember, and it's really important because I even remember what the cover of the 12-inch single looked like. Why? Because my dad, um, who was a New York City public school teacher his whole life, was also a DJ on the sides on the weekend, and so he would always spend Saturday morning taking the train from Queens down into Manhattan to J&R Music World. This was the tradition, and one of those days he went and got Curtis Blow's These Are The Breaks. It was very important. And and so though I didn't get to go with him, I was waiting because I knew this was a big deal when he came home. Breaks in a bus, breaks on the car, breaks to make you a superstar. Breaks to win and breaks to lose. But these here breaks rock your shoes. And these are the breaks. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Did you get it, Dad? And he said, yeah, Marsh, I got it. So we went down into the basement, which was his full DJ studio. He had Technique 1200, disco lights, the whole thing. So here we were at like 1 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, and he played it. And I just started dancing whatever little kid dance I could. My sister came down, my mom came in, and it was just a great family moment that happened around this record. So the beat was very catchy, and it was a great family moment, and so that's my primary memory of it. But what resonated with me as I've grown up and older, and it's definitely one of my theme songs whenever, you know, something tough happens and I have to think about it, is that, you know, life isn't always going to be a happy 
uh, experience and that even when tough things happen and, and the, you know these are the breaks and he lists them for you one at a time that you can still turn it into a song and you can turn it into something beautiful and you can turn that pain into something that can inspire other people and create good and happy memories for them right so that is my great memory with that particular song and I've continued to return to it over the course of my life and she runs off to them to Japan. That's the race, that's the race. And the IRS says they want to chat. That's the race, that's the race. And you can't explain why you claim your cat. That's the race, that's the race. And Mom Bell sends you a whopping bill. That's the race, that's the race. With 18 phone calls to Brazil. That's the race, that's the race. And you borrowed money from the mob. That's the race, that's the race. And yesterday you lost your job. Well, these are the brakes. Break it up, break it up, break it up. I was really little in 1982. I mean, this was like five years old for me. And yes, I had heard a lot of hip hop just through my dad and through his DJing and his DJ buddies. So like a lot of it too was like the, you know, just just the beats, just the breakdancing music that you would hear even in the parks near where we lived. We were in Queens Village, which is very close to Hollis, Queens, which is where my grandparents lived. And I spent a lot of time with them too. And they were really close to a park where we later found out like Run DMC and Ella Cool J and all those kids were practicing of course we didn't know that's who they were and so so I had just kind of heard a lot of it very organically but my first memory of a hip-hop song is Curtis Blow these are the breaks where the words also made a big difference your hands up in the sky and waiting round from side to side and if you deserve a break tonight somebody say all right all right say ho ho you don't stop I keep on was my dad a New York City public school teacher so was my mom so were two of my aunts and uncles my grandparents I mean it was a whole thing this is what we do we teach and those of us who don't teach usually wind up as preachers so it's an interesting family to come from but education was definitely stressed by my family and and also made fun right so even just listening to something like Curtis blows these are the breaks right was an education because in his own way my dad was sharing you know a part of pop culture history with us that we've been able to take on and incorporate in our lives in different ways but the question of would we go to college was never an issue. It was always, you know, where are you going to college? What are you going to study? And, and really not placing limitations on us in that way. I think because my parents, you know, had all this background in education and were diverse in and of themselves and we were in this diverse place, there really weren't any limitations. If I wanted to study rocket science, you know, that was cool. And if I wanted to study hip hop, that would also be fine. And so it really was a very freeing way to grow up in many respects. We didn't have pressure to like make straight A's or anything like that. It was really about showing us that everyday things are educational. I 
happened to be, you know, born also a dork. So, like, I was interested in reading things that the other kids on my block weren't, and they wanted to play, and I wanted to read about Helen Keller and Sacagawea, and my mom was like, oh, my God, and she just played with a doll. So there is some personal, like, geekiness that's definitely a part of who I am that I own proudly. But I will say having, you know, the strong educational influence was just really amazing and really cool and inspired me to not only become educated but to pay it forward by being a professor myself and showing other people that whatever they're interested in is worth knowing more about. Boogie job and rap is life where I'm from, where I'm from. Ahmad play where Izzy where I'm from, where I'm from. It be like run your coat black, Jupiter keeps a fat beats by the pack where I'm from. Nappy hair is life, we be reading marks where I'm from. The kids be rocking clocks where I'm from. You turn around your cap, you talk over a beat. And dick some sounds booming out of Jeep where I'm from. Cocoons hide the youth, twin units hundred proof. You want some beef, they will cut you some where I'm from. The beats is infinite where I'm from. Voodoo at Shubanine, Gangsta Lean where I'm from. I just loved this group. Still love this group, obviously, which is why we're talking about them. And the memory here for me is twofold. One, this was the first concert that I was able to go to, first hip-hop concert I was able to go to that either wasn't in the park or that I had to sneak away from my house or my parents to go to. So it was a big deal. Like, my friends and I were old enough. All our parents knew. You know, we bought our tickets, and we went to go see Diggable Planets. It was, it was really, really cool. And the thing that struck me with Diggable Planets, and it was such a close tie because it was either going to be this group and this song that I talked to you about, or I was going to talk to you about MC Light and Light as a Rock, and I just didn't know how to pick. And the reason why I was struggling with both of them was because these were the first time I saw real powerful, strong women take the stage and just say whatever they had to say. No gimmicks, you know, no wigs, no miniskirts, no nothing. Just, this is who I am, and this is what I want to talk about. And you can like it or not, right? And that was so powerful for me to see that that was a role, even though I'm a terrible poet, as much as I, you know, wish I weren't, um, and would love to take the stage one day and blow people away, never going to happen, right? But to see that that was something that was in the realm of possibility for someone like me. And the reason why seeing Diggable Planets was, you know, so memorable, I realize now in thinking about this, was because... I had never seen live, up close, and in person before a woman doing her thing in this way. Venus, that's a fool at the square, right? Yeah. Doctor's engineer in a pair, right? Yeah. Hip-hop made a point last year, right? Yeah. But Planets is the joint this year, right? Yeah. Planets got the duds and lift to grass hop. Duck out from the fuzz that sweat the hip-hop. Rising like we foam, get it from the dome. I'm from where the fat beats stretch for mad blocks. We can get a kick without no breath. Go straight to the head, fall into a club, dig on what we love. It be past six before we reach back. But a fix of relics, we say, those are fat. Doodle making silk, the quad, where it's at. We knew the step was set for rap to take a step. So we treat our clips just like busting caps. Whip it till dawn, kick it till dawn. Hip hop is a fix or else we be gone. People thought they canned it, rap is not by bandits. Diggable planes got it going on. The reason why Diggable Planets continues to resonate with me is because they were part of a shift where hip-hop was going in new directions and was broadening its horizons and making its way out of these big cities and to, again, to help people realize that this is a form of music. This is not 
black and Latino people making noise, <laughs> that this is actually music that not only has something to say, but that can just be enjoyable, and that hip-hop can be melodic, it's not just drums, that it, it really is a bona fide form of music. And of course, I was coming of age, I was a teenager, so there was a whole lot of interesting stuff in my life happening, getting ready to go to college, and friends were changing, so the friends that I went to see Digable Planets with were not the friends that I went to high school with, right, in New York. So I think they were definitely part of this kind of more elite, potentially college-oriented, way before Kanye, backpack, hip-hop style set. We like the breeze, float straight out of our lids. Them, they got boo bodies, Harvard, Brooklyn kids. Us floor rush when they DJ booming classics. You leave the crew on the fattest hip-hop record. He touched the kinks and sinks into the sounds. She frequents the fatter joints called undergrounds. Our funk zooms like you hit the Mary Jane. They flock to booms, man, boogie had to change. Who freaks the clips with matter mouth percussion? Where kinky hair goes to unthought of dimensions? Why is it so fly? Cause hip-hop kept some drama. When Not sure of that... Diggable Planets would ever be as marketable as a Tupac or as an NWA, for instance. I just, I'm not sure that people wanted to hear that black and Latino folks are regular. <laughs> I think you want to hear that, like, black and Latino folks are these superheroes, whether they are super gangsters or super awesome or super business people. You want to hear that they're super, right? And Diggable Planets just kind of were regular this is where i'm from this is what i'm doing politically speaking as well right i mean they were quoting chairman mao right so they had these communist tendencies they were very into black panther and black power history and at the same time were almost like an undercover maybe public enemy in some ways right without all the flair so they were doing these amazing things with the music and making it so musical and making it soft in some ways and i think ladybug might have had a lot uh, brilliantly to do with that right but at the same time their messages really were hard hitting just delivered in this regular you know not super aggressive super in your face kind of way Interestingly enough, I also loved Nirvana at the time, go figure, so it was for me like bumping dig, you know, Diggable Planets and Nirvana, and then of course Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, and, and all these other groups. You know, went to public high school in Queens, New York, my geekiness had paid off, so I was part of the honors program, so you know, doing calculus and you know, a bunch of other boring things, but still paying attention to diversity around me, still paying attention to what my friends were listening to, right? And so, you know, that's how I got into something like Nirvana, for instance. You know, the, the kid that I was partnered with in Calculus, he was like, I like that Diggable Planet stuff, but have you heard about this other stuff? And no, and so we change tapes or CDs, and you know, I got turned on to a lot of other things. So it was a really cool environment, definitely, in that sense.
know, I continued playing the piano till I was about 16 or 17, and I was definitely trained in a classical style. So if I wasn't listening to hip hop, I was probably practicing like, you know, classical music on the piano as well. And maybe that explains why, for instance, I really enjoyed Diggable Planets as well, because they were bringing those melodies and those, those different tonal effects and using echoes in interesting ways and staccatos. And I really, I really felt like theirs was music I could put down on sheet if I wanted to, right? Although that might defeat the purpose if we're talking hip hop. So I think that's another reason why they um, seem now in retrospect to be so interesting and important for me musically. So it's this, it's all these things that are happening in high school, right? It's this, oh my gosh, like I'm growing into this potential grown up. I don't know what that means. My interests are changing. I don't know what that means. What am I going to do with my life? I don't know what that means. And all of a sudden for me came a group like Diggable Planets who was like, we don't necessarily know what that means either. <laughs> but here's some ideas. And you can, you can take this classical music and you can turn it into hip hop if you want. You can take your jazz and you can turn it into hip hop if you want. And don't forget to read some Chairman Mao along the way. It was 8.49 on a beautiful ninth day of July. There was not a cloud to speak of, so the orange sun hung lonely in the sky. I lay prone in my cabby home, thinking of fine nappy Jackie and his jazz cat's horn. Sliding in a tape of bird on bird when suddenly rang my phone. Hey, butterfly, the voice said, slip on some duds, comb out your fro, and slide on down to my pad. One of the other things I remember loving about Diggable Planets, and I, I guess I didn't fully realize it till just this minute, is that they they also made it okay to be a little dorky. They made it okay to, to show off what you had read in a cool way and to show people that learning and knowledge and education was out there and could be made fun and cool in all these different ways as well. So that's what I immediately thought of. I think from for me, from Diggable Planets, again, with making it okay to be a dork and all of this and to, and to show people that you were a learned person and that you were learning things that didn't just have to do with your own immediate experience and still apply them to your own immediate experience showed me, for instance, that it might be okay one day to study somebody like Diggable Planets and the work and the art that they did. And that for my experience in terms of what we stereotypically think of as kind of hardcore rap, I mean, I did not grow up in that side of Queens. Like, 50 Cent was on the other side of Jamaica Avenue all through this time, getting shot and doing his stuff, right? So he had a very different experience than I did, and which I think is another thing that makes hip-hop and people in general so interesting. Man, when I come up in here, treat me like a fam. I can go uptown and get this a 16 cent a gram. Bottom line is, man, I got a cop and go. Got a spot and I can't afford to stop the flow. Poppy, what the fuck is the matter with your man? Standing against the wall with a gun in his hand. I ain't on no funny shit. I'm on some get this money shit. A4 days in PA, I move another break. According to the DA, I sold dope in VA. My crew stand queens, but the plates be VA. I'll show you where I rest at. It ain't hard to find me. Let me buy a brick. I didn't really listen to much gangster rap when I was growing up. My parents did a good job of, especially with my dad actually knowing things that came out before I did, um, and still to this day having that role. He was so far out in front of me and my sister and what our musical tastes were that 
if there was something that we weren't or shouldn't be listening to, really, he he and my mom had a good way of knowing how to how to moderate that in our household. So no, at the time, I didn't get much gangster rap. But also, I mean. We, we also have to define what gangster rap is, right? So we heard plenty of Tupac. Now, whether that's necessarily gangster rap, I think, is another conversation, right? We heard plenty of Public Enemy. We heard a little bit of NWA. So I have trouble with some of those generic distinctions for that reason, right? That I don't ever think the totality of who an artist is can just be thrown out under a particular genre of, let's say, rap. I mean, my friends certainly, some of my friends in high school listened to more of it than I did now that I'm thinking about it and looking back on it, but no, that, that isn't the part of hip-hop Whatever. that really resonated with me as a, as a youngster. Let me tell you why I became interested with Eminem and then what I think about him now. Two songs, The Way I Am, which I really took to heart being not only from New York, but this happened more in college as well and in graduate school, right? And it's when I got to these more homogeneous environments that we talked about, people were starting to ask me, well, who are you and what are you and what race are you and where are you from and what is all that about? And I didn't really know how to answer. I was kind of like, I'm from Earth, I'm Marsha, my race is human. And as I began to study more in school and all of this stuff, you know, I got interested in this topic of passing, and that is basically being able to say, I am whatever you say I am. And if that's what's going to make you comfortable, that is just fine with me because I know who I am on the side, right? And so when I heard that song, I thought I had, by that time, I thought I was finished studying hip-hop forever, and then I got dragged right back in. I sit back with this pack of zigzags in this bag of this weed. It gives me the shit needed to be the most meanest MC on this on this earth. And since birth, I've been cursed with this curse to just curse and just blurt this berserk and bizarre shit that works. And it sells and it helps in itself to relieve all this tension, dispensing these sentences, getting this stress that's been eating me recently off of this chest. And I rest again peacefully, peacefully. But at least have the decency in you to leave me alone when you freak see me out in the streets when I'm eating or feeding my daughter to not come and speak to me. I don't know you and no, I don't owe you a motherfucking thing. I'm not Mr. Instinct, I'm not what your friends think. I'm not Mr. Friendly, I can be a prick if you tip me. My tank is on empty, no patience is in me. And if you offend me, I'm lifting you ten feet in the air. I don't care who was there and who saw me. Just draw you a you a lawyer, file you a lawsuit, I'll smile in the courtroom and buy you a wardrobe, I'm tired of all you I don't mean to be mean, but that's all I can be, it's just me. I found that for me, Eminem had just tapped into a way of expressing something and a way of dealing with life in an increasingly mediated age, in an increasing age where people felt like they had the right to know everything about you, even though, I, you know, we're not famous, right? But this song even predates things like Twitter and Facebook, right? By maybe just a year or two, but that he saw this increasing mini celebrity that every single individual who would get plugged into these social networks would have to be dealing with. To me, is actually amazing looking back 
back on that song now a decade later, right? And on top of that, then being able to tap into this idea of passing when he's just like this white guy from the Midwest. Like, what does he know about racial passing or any other kind of passing, right? And so as I listen to him more, I begin to see, oh my goodness, he knows way more than I was giving him credit for. So that's the way I am. But the reason why I even got to the way I am is because of my grandfather. So I told you about growing up in Queens Village. My grandparents, my mom's parents, never lived more than six blocks away. Now my mom's parents were both born in Cuba and understood English perfectly, spoke it okay, read it fine. And I remember, this had to be 1999, I had heard about Eminem about a year or two earlier from DJ Bazooka Joe. He's a very good friend of mine from college. And I was studying at NYU, and I was working on my thesis, which was on underground rap music in the New York City area. And I had heard this, this song called Five Star Generals from Ruckus Records. I'll never forget this. And this was just after I had tripped, literally tripped over most deaf in a sneaker store one day after school. And I told him, hey, you don't know me, but I'm doing a study. I just, you know, analyzed like 72 of your lyrics. Do you want to talk to me sometime? He was like, huh, okay. It's all day out of night. Everything on my side is looking all right. It's the high power, original B-boy, traditional role-based material. An individual, true brand, imperial. Get hearing on your stereo, transcribe the live the most. Unless she will sit back and listen, you ain't had no position to deal with my conditional mentally and physical strength is indivisible. Crows become a pitiful space. We sign a typical downfall. Eventual, I'm not feeling you. Don't know what your label's telling you or what magic beans they're selling you. So I was able to talk to him. He introduced me to some people over at Raucous. And I came across Shabam Sadiq and this Five Star Generals. And I listened to it and I was like, okay, you know, this is cool or whatever. And then I heard this crazy voice talking about what he was going to do to nuns in Bible class and where he was going to send them. And I was like, what in the world is this? And so then I called Joe and I was like, Joe, what is this? And he was like, oh, you have found Eminem. <laughs> And I said, what's an Eminem? I just know the candy. What are you talking about? And so he's, he's this white guy. He's from Detroit. You got to listen to Infinite. You got to, he, you know, here's all this, all this underground stuff. So Joe gave me the instant underground. This is Eminem. You need to know about him. Went to Bible class with a gun, blasted a nun. Fuck hell, Satan sent my ass to the sun. I wasn't born, I was hatched. Dumped in the trash with a note attached. Saying, someone please whip this brass ass. I never gave a rat's ass or a flying fuck. Driving drunk in a fire truck with the siren stuck. Slamming the brakes, getting out, cause the tires suck. Went to pull you off my dick and got the fire stuck. You better run, cause I'm probably the only one crazy enough to shoot your ass with a knife and stab you with a gun. I like fire, you might see me starting. So flash forward a year later, my name is is everywhere as you as you all will remember, and I'm going to see my grandparents before I head home. So I'm getting close to my grandpa's house, and keep in mind, as I said, my grandpa is mostly Spanish speaking, also a minister, extremely pious and very conservative in his way. 
And as I get close to the house, I'm like, no, that is not. My name is blaring out of the windows of Grandpa's house. Like, what in the world is this? So I get up to the door. I ring the bell. He doesn't even answer the doorbell because the music's so loud. So I'm like banging on the door, right? So finally, he opens the door, and he's like, don't talk to me right now. And I'm just, I didn't even know what to do. So I just have this look on my face like, what is happening? I go see my grandma. I'm like, grandma, what's up with grandpa and the rap music? And the, she was like, whatever. Here's some Cuban coffee. Sit down and relax. So talk to grandma for a few minutes. I come back in. Grandpa's like reclined in his lazy chair. It was when they were running the EMMTV, so MTV. They just kept playing all these videos. And I said, grandpa, OK, what is this? Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Want to see me stick nine-inch nails to each one of my eyelids? Want to copy me and do exactly like I did? Try sit and get fucked up worse than my life is? My brain's dead weight. I'm trying to get my head straight, but I can't figure out which Spice Girl I want to impregnate. And Dr. Dre said, Slim Shady, you a basic. Uh-uh. Watch your face red. Man, you wasted. Well, since age 12, I felt like I'm someone else because I hung my original self from the top bunk with a belt. Was like, I don't know who this guy Eminem is, but I love it. And I'm like, Grandpa, you're obviously not hearing what he's saying. I really don't think you're going to find anything in the Bible that's going to support this. No, 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 Marsh, you're not listening correctly. This guy is like a prophet. He's like a preacher. His style of delivery is just as powerful as any reverend I've ever seen. And my grandpa was also a poet, right? So he's like, even though I don't understand everything, the way he uses his words, I can get with that. Like, I just like hearing how he's putting things together. And of course, I knew because of Joe and because of my studies, like Eminem was doing these inside rhyme patterns and all of these interesting things. Things, right but I didn't know that grandpa knew that grandpa who you know whose English was kind of so-so and he was like I'm telling you this guy's gonna be big I'm like all right grandpa remains to be seen he's like I'm telling you pay attention this guy's like a preacher he's gonna be like a prophet watch I'm like okay whatever so that was what 1999 my grandpa was 89 years old at the time and this is a lesson for all you out there listen to your grandparents because here I am in 2012 writing a book about Eminem and thinking about at least in part of Eminem as one of our foremost spiritual rappers that does he have anything to say beyond just his style of delivery that is thinking about asking and answering those big questions that we all grapple with at one point or another in our lives and I realized that the answer is a resounding yes that Eminem has a lot to say about spiritual matters and that we should pay attention to him more in that sometimes I just feel like my father I hate to be bothered with all of this nonsense it's constant oh it's just lyrical content the song guilty conscience has gotten such rotten responses and all of this controversy circles me and it seems like the media immediately points a finger at me So I point one back at him, but not the index of pinky Or the ring or the thumb, it's the one you put up When you don't give a fuck, when you won't just put up With the bullshit they pull, cause they full of shit too
The Way I Am, I think, really encapsulates that side of Eminem. It's this idea that we really have the opportunity to know who we are and present ourselves differently in order to connect with people. So it's not just the old school style of passing where I'm going to present myself differently because I need to succeed or survive. It's this this way of identifying ourselves that, that allows us to speak to people that without doing so we never would have a chance to that might never ever take us seriously right so what would a 25 year old Eminem and 89 year old Rafael Matos have in common I would say nothing my grandpa obviously didn't think that I was correct when the dudes getting bullied and shoots up your school and they blame it on Marilyn and the heroin where were the parents at and look where it's at middle America now it's a tragedy now it's so sad to see an upper class city having this happening then attacking the nim cause I rap this way but I'm glad cause they feed me the fuel that I need for the fire to burn and it's burning and I have returned and I am whatever you say I am to me Eminem is a brilliant master of social identification, that social commentator, if you will. So if I had to describe what Eminem does for me, aside from giving me a potty mouth, what I think Eminem has done for me is shown me a different, valuable way of doing social critique. If society is a building, for instance, this is how I imagine Eminem, like, if our society is a building, Eminem's going to find the cracks, and instead of patching them up, he's going to dive in and explode them in hopes of bringing the whole building down because it's really effed up anyway. And I think for me, that's a new way of thinking about our society that well okay I see an injustice and I want to patch that up I want to make things feel better I, but he said he's saying no what if we make it worse because society really does suck and what if we start conversations about why what any of us is doing is a problem in the first place and so for me it's just it's been an amazing education and an amazing way for me to rethink about these, you know, these men in my life, right? My dad, who introduced me to Curtis Blow, my grandpa, who saw all of this in one song in Eminem. So the hope is that as I continue to grow and change, that I that I will be able to see these kind of things happening in our society and our culture, and and pass it on to my kids and grandkids and my students and and all of these other things. Be it hopefully through my love for hip hop, but if not, then something else that I'm passionate about as well. I smoke a fat pound of grass and fall on my ass faster than a fat bitch who sat down too fast. Come here, slut. Shady, wait a minute. That's my girl, dog. I don't give a fuck. God sent me to piss the world off. Hi, my name is what? My name is I think my grandpa definitely saw that Eminem was the way that U.S. society was going. And I, I think that's part of what resonated with him. What my grandpa really reacted to was, you know, this kind of preachery style of delivery, this authority and confidence that Eminem had in who he was, no matter what anyone else would have to say about him. And I think that's what the part of it that my grandpa really uh, was attracted to, and probably that we all, in some way or another, if we liked Eminem at that time, were attracted to. But 
what I have really become attracted to Eminem's music about is this idea of how it reflects a new... I won't even say a new, just an updated, a remixed, a 2.0 or a 3.0 maybe now version of what it means to be an American. And I think even more than, let's say, that kind of very uncreative, somewhat tacky excuse of, well, it's just because Eminem's a white guy. I'm unmoved by that. I really think Eminem is a brilliant passer in that even though he is maybe this boring regular white guy as he refers to himself many times in his lyrics he has this way of in our imaginations presenting himself as something else and that is not something that's necessarily universal it's just something different than whatever this shell is that we're seeing which is almost right kind of like the M&M candy in a way and I think that because our demographics are changing in the 21st century because America is tanning because we've now had the first generation of babies that are majority minority whatever that means right that we really are looking for new ways to identify with and as Americans with and as ourselves with and as each other and I think Eminem gives us one example for doing that Eminem has not changed the face of hip-hop. I don't think hip-hop has gone from being, quote, a, a black cultural or musical style to being a white cultural or musical style simply because of the rise of Eminem. Hip-hop has always been uh, a polyethnic, multiracial culture that people from many different backgrounds have been able to participate in in one way or another. So to say that just because this one guy makes it in a way that other guys who don't look like him have before is a little rash to me. So that's, that's the one thing. And I think when we want to call Eminem a minstrel, I think it's because we want to really start a fight. Because I think it's not understanding that if we even think about minstrelsy as its own definitely troubled and racist and problematic art form, right, that there were amazing comedic performers like one that comes to mind is Burt Williams, who was an African-American minstrel who by choosing to do that and by choosing to exaggerate stereotypes about his racial background that made other people uncomfortable, not only was able to make a fortune, but was able to change the game of vaudevillian minstrelsy so that people wouldn't have to do it to such an exaggerated rate in the future in order to gain an audience, right? So if we're going to call Eminem a minstrel, then let's at least call him the right kind of minstrel. Because I think we see in these younger, particularly white rappers that we're talking about, that my dad's constantly introducing me now to all the time, you know, Machine Gun Kelly, Mac Miller, Asher Roth, some of the guys from Odd Future, right, that they don't have to do it in the way that Eminem did it. They don't have to declare proudly that they're from a white trash background, right? They get to do something different. In the same way that people who came after Burt Williams in this comedic style of minstrelsy that he had didn't have to do some of the, make a lot of the concessions that he had to make. 
Like you never seen a white person before Jaws all on the floor like Pam Like Tommy just burst in the door And started whooping her ass worse than before They first were divorced Sewing her over furniture ah! It's the return of the Oh wait, no wait, you're kidding He didn't just say what I think he did, did he? And Dr. Dre said Nothing, you idiots. Dr. Dre's dead. He's locked in my basement. Uh, feminist women love him and them. Chicka, 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 slim shady. I'm sick of him. Look at him walking around, grabbing his you know what, flipping his you know what. Not Eminem, the person, so not Marshall Mathers, but I think Eminem, the artist, Eminem, the brand, Eminem, the label, is really important and really interesting to discussions of American identity today, to how people are feeling more free to cross racial and ethnic lines and identify however they choose. You know, so I know a lot of multiracial kids that I've talked to for this passing study that have said, man, that Eminem song, The Way I Am, Dr. Dawkins, you're not the only one for whom that became a mantra. It reminded me that I have the right to identify however I choose. And if that's different than how you want to identify me, I can let you think about me however you want, but I know who I am and I'm going to operate in the world with that information. So, you know, it's it's really interesting. Now, when we get to what I'm going to call like the M&M 2.0s or the Slim Shady 2.0s are doing now, I think that opens us up to having even a even a bigger and more interesting conversation about what being an American is. Because as, you, as I remind my students, and they always, you know, are shocked when I say this. I'm like, you have to remember, Eminem is middle-aged. He's going to be 40 this year. So as important as he will remain, and I think he'll remain important because of this court case that he's just won. It's going to get him some amazing amount of money off of these digital downloads. I'm calling them digital reparations, right, that he's gotten for himself and all these other recording artists. I think that's ultimately what we'll remember Eminem for. And, and where we'll see his influence within hip-hop is going to be with Slaughterhouse. It's going to be with Odd Future. Might be with Nicki Minaj as well. If she can continue to deploy these multiple identities in, in her unique way. want to try and be my bestie But I take a left and leave them hanging like a terrorist Trash top to them, then I put them in a hefty Running down a court, I'm dunking on them, Lisa Leslie It's going down, basement, Friday the 13th Guess who's playing Jason? Tuck yourself in, you better hold on to your teddy It's Nightmare on Elm Street, and guess who's playing Freddy? Chef cooking for me They say my shoe came crazy The mental asylum looking for me You were bookie to me I'm in that way. My experience with, with passing, believe it or not Is of me as a child It's not what people might think I think based on my work and my, my interests And maybe even some of the things I've said today About being multiracial That you know people would think Oh, she knows what it's like to pass as white Or pass as black or anything else Actually, I don't what I know about passing comes from being a very young girl, the same young girl who listened to Curtis Blow. And where we were in Queens had excellent school district at the high school level, but uh, elementary school was not the greatest. And so in order to get into a better school and a better class and have a shot at a better life, I had to pass as older than I was and from a different neighborhood in order to get into first grade at the right school. And so when I think about what passing means and the fear of being found out and doing something because it's going to make a huge difference in your life. That's the experience with passing, this age passing. I think it depends on what we call passing is allowing people to think that you are 
whatever they say you are a form of passing. If it is, then I pass every day. Almost every day I have someone ask me what my ethnicity is and when I when I say it, they say, no, 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 you're really X, Y, or Z. And in fact, in thinking about this and in writing the book, and I, I talked about this obviously with my family, and uh, they each had a story, at least one or two, that they remembered of hanging out with me over the years. And someone would stop us and ask what my racial identity was and I would say it and they would say no 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 so passing is this really interesting and strange thing that I kind of refer to as clearly invisible right it's something that's always in our faces and at the same time we can't really see it or put a finger on it and that's what I think is happening in our society today that a lot of people are becoming more and more clearly invisible I looked at 200 of Eminem's most controversial lyrics over the past 20 years and analyzed them for a host of spiritual themes ranging from like guilt and redemption to God and the devil to love and hate and a lot of it made me think about who I am and what I believe and a lot of it made me realize in terms of how we have understood hip-hop and how we in particular have understood someone like Eminem over the years that the real problem the real problems the wrong word the real thing the real issue at stake with somebody like Eminem is a spiritual issue um, and then we find all of these other social issues coming out of that let me give you a quick example to show you what I mean so instead of getting at Eminem's violent misogyny and very troubling stances on women in a secular sense I actually looked at his lyrics for how women are represented in this more spiritual sense and for Eminem women are always devils women are always temptresses women are always evil with the exception of his own daughter and that's because she comes from him and so he's kind of her savior in that way and so I realized then that if a person like Eminem or any other person who, who feels similarly and probably more of us do than we'd like to admit um, could examine that on a spiritual level and ask him or herself well what if whatever God is could be a woman instead of just being a devil or being something evil how would that change the way that we treat women around us every day and so those are some of the really interesting things that came to me from looking at Eminem this way and kind of came to me and made me think about what are my uh, what are my perspectives on guilt and redemption and God and the devil and and you know love and hate and all of these other things all right stop now before you walk in the door the slicker store and try to get money out the drawer you better think of the consequence who are you I'm your motherfucking conscience that's nonsense go in gap for the money and run to one of your aunt's cribs and borrow a damn dress the one of a brown wig and I'm telling you need a place to stay you'll be safe for days if you shave your legs with grenades razor blades yeah but if it all goes through like it's supposed 
sure you walk in the door first Look at the store clerk, she's older than George Burns Fuck that, do that shit, shoot that bitch Can you afford to blow this shit? I do that rich? Why you give a fuck if she dies? Are you that bitch? Do you really think she gets the fuck if you have kids? Man, don't do it, it's not worth it to risk it right. Not over this shit, Stop. drop the biscuit Don't even listen to Slim, yo, it's bad for you You know what, Dre? I don't like your attitude It was a pretty profound process And in fact, in the book to analyze a couple of Eminem's songs, I actually had to go back to some of my grandpa's old notes that he left me when he passed away a couple of years ago and uh, play out some of these ideas with just a little more background from him because he'd done extended study in this way. So it was a, it turned out to be a really holistic a holistic exercise and also caused me to to dig deeper. I don't know that I've figured out any of these answers yet for myself, but but having the the real privilege to hear what someone else has to say about it is something I have not taken lightly. Now listen to me while you're kissing a cheek and smearing a lipstick. Slip this in a dream. Now what you gotta do is nibble on this little bitch's earlobe. Yo, this girl's only 15 years old. You shouldn't take advantage of her. That's not fair. Yo, look at her bush. Does it got hair? Uh-huh. Fuck this bitch right here on the spot bare. Till she passes out. She forgot how she got there. Man, ain't you ever seen that one movie, kids? No, but I seen the porno with son Nubian. Shit, you wanna get hard off the jail? Man, fuck that. Hit that shit raw dog and bear. Hip-hop matters because every one of us matters. Because hip-hop gives every one of us a way to identify, to listen, to hear, and to speak and participate in our world. That's why hip-hop matters. 